Well, I'm going to give a prize. It's coming up for those that have actually survived the series. Not only have they listened, but they've done some homework too. And in fact, if you've done it all, I'm going to have a special prize. (gasps) So... Anyway, if you have done any homework, you'll have looked ahead at Genesis 32, which is what we're looking at today. You can find it in your church Bibles. And um, as Tim said already, we've been going through um, uh, the middle of Genesis, book of beginnings. It's where it all sort of starts off. And we get a lot of firsts in here. And recently, we've been following this guy called um, Jacob. So once you've got uh, Genesis uh, 32... You basically can just uh, pop it on your knee. Where's the clicky? Uh, is it working? Oh, brilliant. You can pop it on your knee and don't worry about it too much. I haven't got time to read it all today because it's so massive, but if you do the homework, you can read it at home. <laughs> I know. So I'm going to start today with a question. Okay, so here's your question. Um, if God was to physically manifest here on this stage, I'll jump off in this building, um, how do you think you would react? Okay, so have a little consideration. Okay. It's kind of an equivalent question to what's been asked on the streets this week, which is if you die tonight, oh, not very likely, but if you did... Do you know without any doubt that you'd be okay, that you'd go to heaven? They're both asking, how do you think you would fare before God? How do you think your life would stand up in front of him? Now, we are looking at the Bible today, a book we think is inspired by God, And we read the following words. So let's have a little look at them to see how we would fare before God. So it's uh, the first one says, oh, da-da-da. No one may see me and live. So that's God speaking. No one may see me and live. Now that might seem a bit extreme. We'll look at what Habakkuk says. He tries to explain it a little bit says, your eyes, that's God's eyes, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So that's where um, we're up to. And the New Testament, Jesus says these words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So in order to see God, we have to be pure in heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly know that I, am not, I could not stand before God and say I am pure in heart. That means I've done nothing wrong. I'm without sin. I am perfect in every way. If you think you could say that, pop your hands up now. <laughs> We're all stuffed by God's standards. We've all done something wrong. So we're all in the same boat, but there is good news, isn't there? Good news. And we've been saying this on the streets the last two weeks to people. And the good news is anyone who calls, that means cry out, um, says, help me, please help me, on the name of Jesus, will be saved. And that is the simple message, isn't it? 
of the gospel, that we've all done something wrong. We cannot stand before God. And yet, through Jesus, if we cry out to him and say, please help me, we will be okay. Now, so today we're going to look at this character from the Old Testament. Now, this is thousands and thousands of years before Jesus. And sometimes people say, well, the Old Testament's different to the New Testament. The God seems a little bit different there to Jesus. We're going to see today that that same God reacts in the same way. That it's not about us being a good person, but about something that he does. Okay? So that's what we're going to go with today. If we look at, um, so this is your first chance to look at the Bible, chapter 32, and I want you to go a little bit ahead to chapter verse 30. So when you found that, it's page 36 if you want to follow, and it says, okay, so this is the end of the kind of bit of story we're going to follow today. And Jacob called that place, the place where he'd been, and we'll find out where he's been in a minute, Peniel, saying, and here is our interesting words for today, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Spared. And that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Look, think of the verses we've looked at. No one can see the face of God and live. And yet, Jacob here says, I saw face to face and I was spared. So what has happened? Was Jacob particularly good? I don't think so. <laughs> Someone said to me on the door the other week, I've never really thought about it, but I don't like Jacob. <laughs> He wasn't very nice. And yet he sees God face to face and he is spared. Jacob's name means liar or deceiver. And he certainly lived up to his name in the story that we've looked at so far. He was, before God, we could say completely stuffed like us in this room. And Jacob was seemingly uninterested in God as well. And yet God was very interested in Jacob. And that's interesting. In in fact, he appears to Jacob, this not very nice person, twice through dreams. And even before Jacob is born, there is a prophecy over his life for good things to happen to this man. Now that just seems topsy-turvy, upside down by our standards, doesn't it? How can a not very nice person that God fully knows is not going to be very nice be prophesied over before they're born that good things will happen? That doesn't seem to make sense to us. And more recently in our story, God has appeared to Jacob again in a dream and said, I want you to leave here. I want you to go back to your homeland and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do good things for you. He is traveling an immense distance back from 
in Turkey, right down through Israel, right to the southern part of modern-day Israel. He's got a long journey to make. And as he sets off, he's met by angels. Hello? (laughs) And when you're met by angels, you know you need them. (laughs) If you go home, you see an angel on the way. You need them. That's coming. He is, so Jacob sends some messengers to his home to check how things are going. Now, if you remember, I'll come over here because I always do a lot of walking. Um, in his home, this is where Jacob deceived people. He lied to people. He stole from people. In fact, he ran from his home because his brother said, when dad dies... I'm going to kill him. And so he flees from the home under a death wish sort of thing. And now 20 years has passed and he needs to see, has that been enough time for Esau to cool down? And what do we read? Look at 32 verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. We could put some expressions in there. Rob, my husband, had some that I'm not going to share about (laughs) to describe how Jacob felt. But um, I'm just going to go gulp. Clearly, 20 years was not enough. Let's read um, now 32 and verse 7 to 12. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, The group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hands of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sands of the sea, which cannot be counted. Okay, we're going to wait there. We're going to stop there. So Jacob is absolutely terrified When the brother that you originally fled from, because he's going to kill you, is coming towards you with 400 men, it's not looking that welcoming. They haven't got some banners up like at the airport. No, they are really, really coming for something quite different. And the result of this absolute terror, this uh, what's sometimes been described as a chronically self-reliant man, I read somewhere, prays. And anyone prayed like that before? I know I have. 
Time and again, when our felt need, our immediate problems drive us to our knees. When life's okay, it's easy, isn't it, to go a day or two, a week, a month, without praying. But the minute something goes wrong, we're there. And that is where God doesn't just meet those needs, but our deeper need. It's only when uh, things crumble that we realize we've forgotten to talk to God. And here we see Jacob with his felt need, that is the encounter of his brother coming, an absolute terror, going to what he really needs, which is an encounter with the living God. He needs to go from making this God that so far to him has just been the God of dad, the God of granddad, and maybe even great-granddad had something, to his God, his own personal God. And I don't know if you remember that moment yourself when you went from making this God the God of someone else that you occasionally might think about to making them your God. I remember mine so clearly that I was just lying on my bed in my room alone. It wasn't any hype or anything. I wasn't in a service. There was nothing going on. And I cried out to God with those similar words, help me, Jesus. And in a second, that room was filled with the presence of the living God. An amazing experience that went from my toes to my head, washing me with love. And if you've ever felt anything like that, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But for Jacob, and like many people, that didn't happen for him straight away. You know, when it does, we're the privileged few, I think, in some ways. It's like, help, okay, I'm here. But sometimes we pray and we think, did God really hear me? just not really sure because I don't feel any different. And here Jacob's one of those. Nothing happens straight away. He carries on as normal. He thinks he can do something to change the situation. He's done the prayer. Now he hatches a plan. And he begins to um, relay his brother's fear. He thinks, well, what on earth can I do? He's going to come and massacre him. So he divides the group into big groups and he sends gifts to his brother. And we don't even know how many he sends. It just says the groups. So we don't know. And each group he sends ahead and he sends the next one ahead and the next one ahead and the next one ahead. And he needs to show his brother that he no longer does he not even need the inheritance But you'll notice, if you read it later, he's calling his brother Lord. Now, what did he want? He wanted to be the Lord of the family. And here, he's calling him Lord. He's in a very repentant uh, gesture. He's showing him, please take these gifts, my Lord. He's very, very humble because he's absolutely petrified. So he selects hundreds of animals and organizes them. And it says, every time that they, these people met Esau, before he even got a whiff of Jacob, 
he would tell them when they ask, when they ask him, who are you and where are you from? They are to say, and let's look at verse 11. No, that's not right, is it? Ah, wait. Uh, 18. They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He's playing a really careful game here of apologize. He's showering him with gifts to show that he's changed and he dresses him as Lord. And we see this much more clearly in the Hebrew. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so don't think that. This is just stuff I read. There we go. Uh, There we go, that bit. Uh, And then we get that bit in 20 to 24. Let's read that. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Now, why have I brought that one up? Well, the really interesting thing in here is if you read it, how it's actually written, you'll see something very interesting. It's quite exciting, this bit, if you like words. The first thing, number one, you'll see on there, I will pacify him, actually reads, I may cover his face. Do you remember we talked about face earlier? Seeing God's face. I want you to hold that while we're going through here, okay? I may cover his face. Now, the word cover, interesting, means to make an atonement. That I may atone for my sin. Interesting. But it gets more interesting. The second thing I want you to look at, sending on ahead. Remember, he talked about sending them on ahead. Means before my face. Interesting. We've got face again. So I may cover his face. They go before my face. Then when it says, when I see him, it actually says, when I face him. We've got a lot of face going on. And then finally, he will receive me, raise my face. And it's got this picture. You know, like um, if you've done something wrong or if you've ever told off a child, um, and we all do it, don't we? This is how we stand Because we're so ashamed of what we've done. We look at our boots. They become fascinating. And uh, interestingly, in our culture, we often go, look at me when I'm talking to you. (laughs) But um, it's interestingly, in a Middle East culture, they're not allowed to look at you. They have to look at their boots. Because they are truly ashamed of what they've done. And you've got this beautiful picture here that Esau will lift Jacob's face, that he'll see him face to face. See that? You're getting the picture there? You're getting the picture? You're making the links in your head? It's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) So, when he's done all he can do, he does something we all need to do. When we're going to face up to our sin, because that's what Jacob's doing here, he's going to face up to his sin. We need to get alone with God. Remember in verse 30, he says, I saw God's face and yet I was spared. The actual translation, my soul 
was rescued. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I'm getting excited with me. Let's look at verse 22 to 30. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with gods and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared, or my soul was rescued. This is uh, from a commentary by a guy called Myers, and he writes, just to give us a bit of a picture Around him was the profound stillness, murmur of the brook, above infinite stars, here here, here alone he reflects on his life honestly. With no distractions, there's just him before his maker. And this is all of us before God. When we come to him, we are in a sense naked, we are uncovered our titles, our achievements, our family, our position, our role, our security is stripped aside. We all know that at work or church or at school or wherever we find ourselves, we're often wearing a covering. We make up someone that we aspire to be. But deep down we know that God knows what we're really like. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. If they knew what I was really like, would they be my friends? If they knew what I was really like, would they have hired me today? (laughs) Well, God knows us. But be really surprised. Our God raises our face to him and he smiles. Jacob's pattern of life has been to smooth talk, to maybe, maybe fight if necessary, to run away from his sins. But God raises his face. And we all have patterns, don't we? Things that we continually seem to find ourselves doing. We just think, I've done that again. I can't believe it. I thought I dealt with that. I thought it was done. And we're back in the pattern again. We're doing it exactly as we've always done. But God says to Jacob, your running days are now over. Verse 25, he touches the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched. When we stand before God, we might spend a lot of time making excuses for our sin. Sweet-talking, bargaining, running away. 
But when we come face to face with the living God of the universe, we can't smooth talk our way out. We can't bully, we can't excuse, we can't argue, we can't hide. Our sin is like a massive elephant in the room and everybody is looking at it. There's no ignoring it. When we first turn to God, it's often, Jesus, help me. And I want to say, without any doubt, that when you do that, in your desperation and your heartfelt need for the living God, like Jacob did, you are rescued at that moment. Your future is secure. You are his. He loves you. He lifts your face. But from this comes a deeper opportunity to get a deeper need met. We grow in our relationship with Jesus. You're going to learn that there are many struggles. From the minute you call on Lord, you are saved. Your eternity is secure. But from that moment on, every segment of pride, hatred, selfish ambition, lust, greed, rudeness in our hearts starts to get worked on by the Holy Spirit. And it can be a wrestle. And a wrestle that we go back to and go back to and go back to. Whether we've been a Christian five seconds or 55 years, we are still in that wrestle The Bible describes it like there's two people trapped in your body. It's like some kind of bi-personality thing going on. The new you that has a new name and a new way and a new look. And the old you that just wants to continually redo these patterns the way that you have always done stuff. And the spiritual wrestle will never stop until we are before the throne of the living God, our faces lifted. And we'll have nothing to do at that moment except put before God every achievement that we have ever done. Every improvement we've ever seen made. Every miracle we've ever been a part of. We know it was all about him. I think I've got it here. I'm sure I put it up there. Revelation 4. So you can just read this one. So this is a picture of heaven, of human and celestial beings worshipping around the throne at the end of time. And it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders... you can think of that as humans, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns, their achievements, anything that's happened, any good in their lives before him and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they are created and have their being. Life's journey as a Christian is not an easy one. We we often feel like we're in a constant battle and a constant wrestle is going on. And sometimes we think that's human beings and then we'll read Ephesians and we'll see, no, it's a spiritual battle. So I think, oh, the devil's wrestling with us. And sometimes we'll get to the end of the wrestle and we look back and we think, actually, I think I was just wrestling with God because he wanted me to do this. He wanted the best for my life, but I was convinced that that old pattern 
was the right way of doing things. God loves us too much to allow us to remain the person we were when we first cried, help me, save me, I need you, Jesus. In Revelation, it also tells us that we're given a new name, like Jacob, liar, deceiver. That old you's gone. You've got a new name, Israel. And look a bit more of that in the homework. (laughs) That morning, Jacob limped forward as the sun rose. He looked weaker than ever. You can imagine this old man, and he stumbles forward to meet his brother. He's weaker. He's not running, no smooth talking, no deception, just Jacob and Esau. He's still not perfect, we're going to find that out, but he's begun to change. The man God created him to be, with a new name Israel, physically weaker, but spiritually so much stronger, is ready to face up to his sin and move forward, trusting God for his future. And no shame can hold him, no fear can hold him, no more running, It's time to face his past and face a very different future. So as we close today, I was thinking about um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Steve, about when he first, um, well, he cried out to God actually during um, an episode of Songs of Praise, funnily enough. Uh, You think that never works, but it does. And um, he, at the time, was a property developer, And he developed properties in London. He was incredibly wealthy. Um, He was scamming right, left, and center. He was making a packet, and he knew it was dishonest. And when he started to follow Jesus, all that had to go. And he ended up in poverty. It was a time of a great recession. His house went into negative equity. He had not a bean to rub together by the ends of it. So he was, phys- he was uh, what would we say, monetary-wise, financially much weaker, but spiritually he was alive. And he would testify again and again that his life was a billion, billion times better with Jesus than before. So I wonder this morning if there are any areas of your life that God is touching which you're still wrestling to hold on to. This is the way I've done it. I've always done it this way. It works for me. This is just who I am. Look, just deal with it because that's what I do. And God wants you to let it go today. He longs for you to let him win. When he wins, we win. And if you won't submit, you might find like Jacob that he will touch it. Because he wants the best for you. And today, if you don't know the joy of following Jesus, of him lifting your face, like that woman in the New Testament caught in adultery, if you don't know that joy of him saying, I forgive you, you are no longer that person, come follow me. Then today is your opportunity to pray that prayer, Jesus Please help me. I don't want to live like this anymore. 
You see, our sin remains a barrier between us and God only as long as we deny it's there. We want to fight to pretend it's not there. We want to hide it, excuse it, smooth talk our way out of it, blame someone else. When we come to Jesus, we need to admit our sin and ask him to forgive us. First John 1 John 1.9, these beautiful words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you remember that verse early, earlier about Jesus saying, blessed are the pure of heart. Who can look on the face of God, the pure of heart, and how do we get a pure heart? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Jesus says he didn't come to condemn, but to save. He doesn't come to wag his finger, to tell us how bad we are, but to lift our faces, our shame-filled faces, and look at us and smile. And that's why every time we take communion, which we're not doing this week, but we do it every other week-ish, we're invited to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal anything we need to be sorry for. So will you let Jesus today lift your face? We're going to pray a very simple prayer of help me, Jesus. And if you'd like to pray that, then just say amen at the end. And if you prayed it for the first time today, I'd love to just see you afterwards, give you something and encourage you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me now. Thank you that you died on the cross. That I could be forgiven. And that now you are alive. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me live the life you have for me. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, your sins are forgiven. Jesus loves you so much. Amen.